0: Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Andrew Schrader. And I'm Aurek Purcell. Auric, uh, real quick, how does it feel to have me introducing the show instead of Timothy? Uh, it's interesting. It's the
1: first time it's happened um, that it's not me
0: or Timothy introducing
1: <laughs> the show. So yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's new. It's fresh. I mean, I'm excited, man. This is going to be fun.
0: Yeah, so we're going to do a few episodes together. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm sure everyone who listens for the most part, I mean, maybe not everybody, but like we're trying out new hosts to replace Timothy who's left us, um, you know, just to, you know, because he's not doing filmmaking as much anymore or just focusing on different things. So, so yeah, this is going to be like a tryout period and uh, I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, me too. Thanks. I really like the show because it's so honest and I don't know, I think it'll be fun.
1: Yeah, totally. So Andrew, why don't you introduce our, our guest here?
0: Cool. Yeah, I'll uh, let her do most of the introducing herself, but uh, really excited to welcome writer Katie Johnson on the show. Uh, She's just finished up writing for Shooter, I believe, because I think it unfortunately got canceled, but I think it's looking for a a new home. So uh, Katie, do you want to just give us a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, Sure. Hi, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, Yes, I did just finish writing on the third season of Shooter. Uh, and unfortunately we are not coming back, uh, so that is a shame. Um, but before that I worked on Call of Duty, um, on Modern Warfare Remastered for any gamers out there listening. That was really fun.
0: There's like so much I'd really like to talk about, but, um, no, I, I really want to have you on, especially with shooter ending, just because it's a, if it's a time of transition, that's always like a fun time to talk to people to see what they've got going on next. Where would you like to go from here?
2: I mean, I'd love to go back to another room. I'd love to get back on another show. I really thrive in that kind of collaborative process. And I like having a place to go. I'm, I'm the weird extrovert writer. Uh, a lot of people that gravitate towards writing and screenwriting uh, for, are more introverted and prefer solitude. And I absolutely love, I come from a theater background and really love the creative process and actually being in the room every day with a group of uh, fun, creative people.
1: Nice. So I'm just curious, like, how did you get in the room uh, with Shooter in the first place? Can you tell us how that kind of came about?
2: I mean, it's really sort of boring. Uh, My writing partner and I are repped by Adam Marshall at Management 360, who we love. Um, And there was a job opening, and they put us up for it, and they read our stuff. And we met with John Lavin, the showrunner, who's amazing. And he liked us and gave us a job
0: Like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> pretty straightforward
2: <laughs> pretty pretty straightforward yeah um yeah
1: well here so let me take it a little bit further back because i was looking at your um imdb and i saw that you've done a ton of acting in the past and that like you know you're sort of just starting on on the writing career compared to the as the list of acting credits that you have um so yeah can you talk about that like because Did you, did you actually get started as an actor? Was that like your first thing into the industry or, and then writing came second or was it at the same time? Like, just talk us through like how you got going originally.
2: So I think IMDb is actually really deceptive, uh, with that. And and that sort of, it takes a long time to become an overnight success sort of way. Um, so I did start out, uh, in high school, like a lot of girls, I did musical theater and ballet. I was a triple threat. I, did Shakespeare competitions and I wanted to be a performing artist. I wanted to be an actor, uh, but as high school graduation got closer and I started go, I grew up in Chattanooga and Tennessee. So I started taking auditions in Nashville and Atlanta, uh, as a lot of young performers in that area do. And I was just disillusioned and horrified by the material, the content that was out there for young women, mostly soaps and commercials the sort of stuff that I as a, you know, 17 year old little blonde girl was being asked to do. And I was like, this is really bad. Um, and I realized that I had been in, you know, AP writing classes that I had been rewriting scenes for my acting classes that I actually loved writing, but had never considered myself a writer because I don't necessarily fit the profile of a writer, you know, in both the male or female stereotype. But I was like, I actually really like this. And wouldn't it be cool if I could actually write the sorts of characters that I would want to play or I would want to see, you know, or have some sort of control, uh, which is now very funny having actually done the job. Uh, But I thought writers were these very important, uh, successful people um, that people listen to. Uh, So I applied, I was like, well, where's the top film school that I want to do writing? And it was USC. And I'd never been to LA, never been to California. Uh, And I was like, that sounds good. So I applied there uh, and they let me in. So um, That's awesome. I came out. Yeah, and that was basically the like the L Woods of my screenwriting class. There were 24 of us. Uh, and I was like, I'm done with acting. I'm done with performing. I'm a writer, people will take me seriously. Got a MacBook, got some glasses. Um, and then I found very quickly <laughs> in film school. I know. Um, people would ask me to act in their short films. Uh, or I got cast in a play. I was Fest day and 12th night at USC and that it came like, I sort of couldn't escape it. Um, that it came very naturally to me and that people wanted to work with me, that it was easier just to be like, Oh, well, Katie could do it instead of going to the theater school and going through a rigorous casting process. Um, and that almost it's sort of the opposite of like the desperate actor trope that in me being like, Oh no, I don't do that anymore. It's behind me. Uh, that, people actually wanted to work with me or they're like, Oh, that'll be easy. She'll just do it. Um, and I found that I really enjoyed it and that I liked it. So I sort of made a promise to myself that as long as I focused on the writing and prioritized the writing, because I knew in, in like the long term that over decades, building a career and a foundation on writing was where I wanted to go was going to be more stable for me, like emotionally and financially, like for all the reasons for me, I was like, I really, I'm getting a degree in writing. I want a career as a writer. I want to create shows. I want to be that, for, I don't want to have to keep auditioning in front of someone to see if they like me for me to get a job. That's not going to be good for me emotionally. Um, so as long as I prioritize my writing for all of those reasons, if. Acting came to me, if performing came to me, if any of those things just kind of fell at my feet, I wouldn't say no. Like I could still do it. It would be fun. Um, so I made that deal with myself in college, and that has continued, uh, that's followed me into my 30s, actually. Um, even on to shooter, I show up as a writer and John wound up casting me, I have a small part, the smallest recurring role, but it's technically still a recurring role. Um I play one of the uh the evil senator's uh secretaries uh, on the show (laughs) which is really fun yeah (laughs) the character's name is sarah beckett she's named after our um our writer's assistant who's amazing uh who we love but yeah so you you will see a lot of acting credits on my IMDb. um but i was that entire time writing drafts taking meetings optioning things that went nowhere like i was very much introducing myself as a writer and treating myself seriously as a writer and you know, all of that stuff too. I didn't just randomly wake up one morning and be like, Oh, I think I feel like writing today. <laughs> oh, chance, which a lot of actors do. Oh, like that's it's funny. There's a big difference between, and I mean, both like a big difference in craft and a big difference in social perception of writers who act and actors who write. Uh, and I think I've just always made very clear. I'm a writer who acts. Um, not the other way around.
1: Nice. It's so interesting because, um, I've this come up, this has come up before where you'll see like a writer on IMDb or whatever, and they'll have like two credits, but they've been writing for 20 years, you know? Um, so (laughs) I I didn't realize that. So that sounds like that was the case with you too, is that you've been writing this whole time, but yeah, just not so many credits yet, you know? Oh
2: yeah. It takes a long time to become
1: an overnight success. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Uh, I mean, I also, I graduated USC in '08, So into the recession and the writer's strike with a BFA in writing for screen and television. So that was fun, you know, it's a very trying time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had a similar thing. I I graduated in 07 and was making the first movie and right when we were finished was the writer's strike. And then, you know, I come from like a very indie film background. And so like, right as we were finished, it was like the landscape was changing, so everything was was like turning into slowly turning into streaming, and the companies who were buying movies, who like we could have sold to, they all went yeah. under in two thousand seven. Like a lot of like the small horror things. So then it was like, well, what do I do now? So that was it. Was it was just interesting? Like that that time was like uh, pretty weird for everybody.
2: Yeah, it really sort of you know flipped this whole town, I think, you know, upside down and a lot of people left, but you know, I mean, that's one of my horribly favorite stand up comic jokes, and I don't remember who said it. So if you're listening to this podcast, and it was you credit yourself on Twitter. Uh, but you know, he was like, you know, I feel like we could really solve LA's traffic problem with half these people just gave up on their dreams, <laughs> <laughs> which is horrible and dark. But also, like, I think that kind of happened in 2007, 2008, like, a lot of people from my class wound up going to law school or like doing other things It really, I think the people that kind of hung on and like dug their teeth in and wouldn't let go, like there's some staying power in that. Like we're, we're the ones that could not be shaken off of this as a career.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's funny, especially going, I went to UC Santa Barbara for a mm-hmm. film and like 90% of the people who we were making stuff with have left and then as we've gone like You know, now I'm 33 and as I've gone in my 30s, even more of the people who stuck around initially, now they're gone. And it's like, oh my God, there's only like four or five of us like still in the industry.
2: But here we are. (laughs) We made it. Yeah.
1: You know, a lot of the people that listen to the show are like aspiring writers, like people who would like kill to be in a writer's room or even to have management of any kind. So I was just curious, like, how did you go from, you know, Like like graduating USC, like, you know, branding yourself as a writer, doing these acting things, like how did you get your 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 management and like actually get the opportunity to start pitching things to people?
2: Oh God (laughs) I feel like I I think for everybody that story is so is so different and with so many little twists and turns and you know, some of it's hard work and some of it's like blind dumb luck. Um, Yeah. And a lot of it's just not going away, not doing like a two-year turnaround. Um, Yeah. I've always... I think when they say writers write, some people are like, Oh yeah, I get it. I get it. I wrote a script. And it's like, great. I'll write another and another. (laughs) And, And like, you should all... As soon as you finish one thing, you should immediately be picking up another or even have two you can kind of bounce between. So when you inevitably hate one, you can pick up another. Um, and kind of, uh, I always make a joke, like the guy selling, um, like, you know, fake Rolexes on the street. It's like, what do you want? I got everything. I got a little bit of everything. (laughs) Tell them what you like (laughs) so that, um, anytime you're given an opportunity, you have something and it's not just your one thing that you think is really genius that you wrote in film school and you can't believe no one's made yet. (laughs) Um, I, so yeah, I've always been continually creating new product, practicing my craft, um, putting it in front of people. I, you know, I've been, I've had some form of representation since, maybe like seven years ago, six, seven years ago. Um, and have just steadily, you know, worked my way up, you know, and have traded up in the different, um, uh, the different houses around town, um, as my credit as a, um, as a writer, has grown. Um, I've been able to do that, and they've put me in front of different people or taken different meetings. Um, I mean, I guess it's the pretty standard, boring way. I don't, I don't really feel like I have a particularly good anecdote for any of it. Um, but by the time I got to uh, to Adam at Three Sixty, I was actually working on a project with uh, Malan Papaka at Film Nation, and he thought that Adam would like my writing that would be a good fit. Um, and so he put it in front of Adam. And like a day later, I get a we get like a really nice email. I get a phone call and I was like, oh my God, like 360, management 360. I'm like, you know, having just like heart attacks um, because that feels like such a reach for me. In fact, the first uh, agent I had ever had when we were talking about whose name was, it doesn't matter. Uh, very first agent I'd ever had. Um, we were talking about if I needed a manager, when to get a manager, that sort of stuff. And Management 360 was on my list of like, well, what about these people? And he was like, oh, no, 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 They won't even look at you unless you're, you know, producer level. Like this is, that's for like the big time. So yeah, by the time that came around for me, I was just like, what? You know, um, so that was very exciting. Um, And I went in and we had like a fun, like three hour sit down and immediately connected over a bunch of stuff. And I don't know, I got signed in the room and that was very exciting. but yeah, you just have to have, I guess, I did, I'm sorry, I'm not answering your question. Um, you need to be, it takes about a decade of actual continual work, in my experience. For some people, they they walk out here and get like signed in a minute and walk onto a show, and that's great for them. Uh, for the rest of us, <laughs> for me, uh, it took about a decade of really hard continual work, not a decade of hanging out. Uh, or like wandering around or talking about <laughs> how successful you're going to be. Cause there are people that do that. Um, but a decade of actual really hard work on my... Both work on my craft and then work of like doing the work of going to the WGA events. Those are great resources. Like networking with people, that's such a dirty word. And yes, we all hate to do it. I don't care. Get out and do it. If people don't know who you are and like you, they're not going to remember you or want to hire you. Or if you walk into a meeting, go, Oh yeah, I know that guy. Or like, I like that person. Like she's good. You know, you have to kind of be out there in the ethos, uh, in order to make, there's so many other people that want that job, that want that spot why you and every single one of them wants to sit in their apartment and be discovered. Like we all would love that for everyone just <laughs> to see how special and talented and unique we are. <laughs> and it's just not like they're all like you. <laughs> so you kind of have to get over yourself and really and put yourself out there um, while continuing to work on your craft. Uh, and so that's that's how I got representation. That's how I got the jobs that I got. Um, yeah. Is that yeah sorry. <laughs>
0: no, no, I, I really I really like what you said, especially the part about just continuing to work. I think when I was younger, um I was kind of in this mindset like, oh, when I make my first movie, I'll like get discovered. and then that of course, did not happen. I was like, oh, well, I just need to make another movie, and then I made another movie, and I didn't get discovered. and um starting maybe like five years ago, I really was like, you know. I just have to continually write as much as I can and get better. And that's the only way forward. And so I really relate to that. And it, they're like, I don't know for, for you, is there like a, as sort of Zen quality now where it's like, well, I'm just writing like, that's just what I do. And I'm, I'm constantly writing and, that in itself kind of becomes a different project
2: on the docket exactly like that's that is my job and writers write and if you don't actually like the process of writing this is not the right job for you i forget who it was but there's some quote a lot of writers pass around it's like i don't i like i don't like writing but i like having written and like that's a yeah of course like haha we all like that but seriously like if you if you just write because you like having written or you like the creative fulfillment or the catharsis then what you are is an amateur. And I don't mean that in a condescending way because amateur, that a more that comes from the word love, like it means you do it for love. Like that is, and that is beautiful. And you can do that as art therapy and good for you. But if you are a professional, that means you write on demand. That means you write when you don't love it. That means you write when you're taking network notes that you think are terrible. And they probably are terrible, but it is your job as the professional to incorporate them anyway. It's your job as the professional to sit down and do your pages anyway. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Like they think that there's this very romantic notion of being a writer that it's just like, I'll just feel good and seen all the time. It's like nothing could be further from the truth, (laughs) not even a little bit. Um, So yeah, that's
0: (laughs) no, it's, it's true. I mean, the, I, I started, I guess, Three, two, three, two years ago, three years ago, I started writing books, because I just couldn't, there was a lot of ideas that I couldn't translate to the screen. And I was just like, I just need to write like, so scripts, books, all sorts of stuff. And that's been like, really humbling and interesting. But it kind of comes down to exactly what you're saying, like, I have to write or else Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, if I don't, I go crazy. Like it is like, I really go nuts, but, um, I don't know. I like what you said about professionalism too. I mean, that's so important and it really comes down to people having different goals. So I think, I mean, how important then sounds like it's pretty important for you to really define your goals, right? Because yeah. an amateur versus a professional, you kind of value two different things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that, and one is not better than the other. Like I say that again, without judgment, there's a great book by Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, big magic where she talks about that too. And she's like, everyone, everyone is an artist. Everybody has a beautiful artistic gift inside them. But how you express that, you know, really is up to you. And not everybody should be putting the burden of carrying their entire financial safety on their art. Like that may not be that's not right for everybody. And that's not right for everyone's artistic muse an artistic spirit and that's okay and that's just as valid and you maybe actually be getting better art and a better art product if you are doing it for love or for fun whenever you feel like it and you have a day job that carries your um your day-to-day and your finances um they're just they're just two totally different things uh but i loved also going back to what you said about um about writing books uh that there are some stories that are better suited for books than screenplays uh it reminds me of the first internship i had when i was still in college uh, i interned over for um chuck and larry gordon they did like October Sky, field of dreams a bunch of movies like that uh, and so as the the junior intern of course my job was to organize the script library and write coverage um and i was learning about coverage for the first time and i would come in um just with like beautiful beautifully written you know glowing reviews of every single script so i'm like oh this person <laughs> this story like it's from their heart and it's this beautiful thing uh and my like my direct boss was like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> lovely jaded mid thirties person (laughs) was like, okay, kid, here's what you need to understand. Like every story is beautiful, but does every story need to be a feature film? He's like, people are going to put years of their lives on hold. Divorces are going to be had. Billions of dollars will be spent to make this thing into it. Like, could it be a poem? Could it be a, a novella? You know, is it, could it be a painting? Why did you, when your coverage, you need to tell me why this needs to be a movie and it cannot be told in any other way. And that like blew a hole open in the back of my brain. Like I something clicked for me when he said that, that it was like, oh, and like, I think the power to be more discerning and have a bit more critical thought. And like, it's okay that I can take this thing that to someone is the most beautiful thing they've ever written and like their baby and is precious. And that I can look at it and say, you know what? this is beautiful, but this is not the right format and pass. Um, so yeah, I'm, yeah, I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's like one of those things that there's always a little bit of sadness. Like I've got, I've sometimes been outlining an idea and been like, oh, this would be like a cool script. And then I'm like, no, actually it's just, a sh- it's a short story and it wouldn't it be nice if like this could be in a different format, but it can't. But ultimately it, you know, for me, it's definitely made my writing better because it's in the right place. Yeah.
2: And like, for me, my more, you know, freeform, amateur, you know, artistic outlet, um, is dance and is performing arts. Like that for me is really fun. My heart is in it. I don't want anybody's notes. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do or how to do it. Um, and it also doesn't matter if I get paid or not, (laughs) you know, like that's just something that makes my heart sing. So I also have that, I have that outlet. Um, but then for my writing, I did make that choice. That is my profession. I am a professional. Um, and I can go into that more objective mode and understand that it's not about me necessarily. It is about um, if I'm if I'm writing for hire, you know, it's about my you know my executive or my producer, my showrunner, the rest of the room. Like there's so many other variables. You're more like an architect for hire in that way, and you're using all of your craftsmanship and your skill to serve as someone else's vision. So I yeah
0: I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, one thing that's really helped me is when i you know i'm writing to help somebody i'm really there to like put their idea to make their idea as effective as it can be or to really bring what i can to service them and then like all my writing changed it was it just made it a lot better and also it takes like ego out of it and it's just how do i help this person
2: yeah exactly exactly
1: so I'm curious, um, just to talk more about craft a little bit and, um, you know, your experience in the writer's room at shooter. Um, can you talk us through like, what, like your average day was like, like, you know, would you come in with a certain task, you know, you know, with you and your writing partner, or do you guys all just spitball ideas off each other? Or like, like how, do, how does the writing, let's say like one episode, um, come about?
2: Okay, sure. So we would take, uh, each episode would take about a week, give or take, to break in the room. Um, and we actually did something that not a lot of writers rooms do. And I think it's fantastic. And I think more people should do it. And if I ever am so lucky to have my own room, I'll definitely try to incorporate this. Uh, but John Lavin, our showrunner, when he first started Shooter, actually had two shows on the air at the same time. He had Blood Drive and Shooter. So he was trying he started doing this to basically manage his time to try to be in two places at once. Um, which was that we he would run the room for only four hours. So we would run shooter from ten to two, which most writers' rooms go for oh you know, well, the joke is like you're, you're only your room is only as happy as your showrunner's marriage. <laughs> So, you know, like some people would be like, let's order dinner. Do you, why don't you guys be my best friends and let's drink and stay till 10 p.m.? And we're always here. But the reality is, you're only going to get about four good working hours out of a group of people. So, the writer, we'd all come in early, the writers, but we go to our own offices, we'd do our own thing. So, we'd come in prepared and we'd have gotten all of our bullshit and social media and jokes out of the way. So, by the time John came in at 10, we were ready to actually be really efficient and do the work straight from 10 to two. And then after two, we'd all split off as individuals again, um, and work, you know, for as long or not, or, you know, you need to go home and be with your family or whatever you need to do. So that 10 to two time was very sacred and efficient. Um, and so, yeah, it would take us about a week to break each episode. And we did start at, you know, at the beginning and go, go through sequentially, we'd start with episode one and we would have one person writing up on the board and we'd break it out into a five-act structure with always a Bob Lee A story, a sort of Nadine Harris, like DC conspiracy B story. Uh, There would usually be some sort of like Julie and Mary family story. Um, And then, you know, what, uh, oh, and then like a bad guys, like like for us, it was Red season three, like some sort of what the bad guys were up to four, and we would color code them. They'd all be in different uh, marker colors. Um, And let's see, the opening was always some sort of like catchy tag, plus, you know, catchy like opening plus. Act four was usually some sort of fun action sequence. And then, you know, your end, um, your tag would always be something that would lead, it would hopefully cliffhanger you into the next episode. Um, and we would. It would be very collaborative, and our room. Everyone was encouraged to speak. Uh, the assistants were encouraged uh, if they didn't have any work to do to come sit and listen. Uh, they were invited to watch because no one's being a TV assistant for funsies. <laughs> They're all doing it because they want to be writers or you know be something in television. So they were invited to come watch and learn because that's how you learn. And even if they had an idea, they could raise their hand, and John would always hear them all. Um, which I thought was really, really, um, cool of him because a lot of people don't do that. Uh, and you know what? Sometimes they have great ideas. Like there's no, there's no idea that comes from a bad place. Like if it's a good idea. It can come from anybody. Uh, so yeah, we were very collaborative with each other. And, um, even on the first day, um, I had, I said something, I threw out an idea. I then like a minute later, another writer. <laughs> uh, throughout the same idea. And John was like, no, we don't do that. Especially if the writer is female. And he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I didn't, I I didn't hear you. And he was like, it's okay. I know you didn't do it on purpose, but we're going to stop that behavior right now, which is a big problem. People, everyone has different words for it. There's like different little colloquialisms of basically stealing someone's idea and like saying it louder as your own. Um, and it does actually happen to a lot of women. Do do you think
1: he did that on purpose or what do you think it was an accident or
2: I think it was an accident. Like, I really like the guy. I think, and it happens a lot because people zone out. They're thinking, they're trying to sound smart. They want to get their own idea. And then they've missed a couple beats. And then they're like, wait, what if? And it may, you know, your voice may be in the back of their head or they may really come up with the same idea because we're all thinking about the same thing. You know, it's not like we're trying to, we're not trying to come up with the most original idea. We're trying to come up with what best services the story. And so some people might jump to the same thing. So, no, I don't, some people do it on purpose. I don't think he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I liked that, um, Lavin really took that moment to just establish the ground rules in the room. So, so then from then on, like, it was almost a joke. We'd all, before we throw out an idea, it's like, I'm sorry if anyone else has pitched this. Like, you kind of covered right, yourself preemptively. Right. You know, right. like, I'm not trying to jump on anybody. So, and, you know, a couple times it happened and then someone would be like, oh, I just said that. And then it was a joke, you know. But we had a, I, I think a uniquely, uh warm and polite and like good faith rapportum uh, so rapportum Dip. Rapport and decorum, <laughs> right, uh, you know, right. with each other. Rapport, you know, All right. yeah, rapport, <laughs>
1: rapport, yeah <yes>. that works. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it, it was delightful. I, I really enjoyed it.
1: That's awesome. So going back, to, you were talking about you have the four hours where you're working as a group, and then you have the hours in the morning and the hours in the afternoon. Um, what would you guys be working on in that time? Like, like, does, does each like writer team or writer or in the room do they have a different responsibility for every episode? Like you write these scenes, you write these scenes, whatever, or is it always one person who kind of drives the whole episode and everyone's feeding into that one person's document or one person's, you know, script.
2: Yeah. It's, it's more like the second. So each uh, episode has one writer that gets the written by credit, which means they get, they get a script fee (laughs) and then they get residual. So they're getting paid more for that episode, but that also means they're carrying the weight of it. They're responsible for the outline that gets turned to the network. They're actually responsible for doing the legwork and typing up the draft, but everybody will help them. And, you know, the writer's assistant will send them notes. Um, they'll take ideas from anybody. Like, we're all helping each other. Um, and so in the beginning, that's kind of slow because it'll just usually be like one upper level writer or even the showrunner that'll take that first episode. But once you get towards the middle, you actually do have a different people kind of rolling in different, um, drafts of their script. So a lot of different people do need different help in, in whatever stages that they're in of their script. Um and then sometimes, you know, people might get tasked to do research about one specific thing coming up or, you know, something else or if you know something's coming up, you might try to break that earlier. If we got stuck on something yesterday, you know, you might take it upon yourself to try to come up with solutions to bring in tomorrow. Like, there's always work to be done outside of the room if you if you want to do it.
1: Nice. And then, how does the writer who's going to have the written by credit get chosen? Is that all just the the showrunner? That's the showrunner. Show yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, David and I, uh, my writing partner, who's a naval officer. So that kind of makes for an interesting combo. Um, we were, you know, wondering, or like, the season's going on, everybody's getting picked, nobody's picking us, and I was like, well, maybe we're not gonna get one, which is fine. Like, you know, that's, uh, not every, a script is not something you're owed. Uh, a script, sometimes just the upper level writers will get them. You know, like, it's not, sometimes if you have like an Aaron Sorkin, they just write, write them all, quote, quote, by themselves. They just get the written by for themselves and don't share it with their team. So, you know, it's not something that we felt entitled to, but it was something that we were like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, maybe not us. Like, you know, we're going, going, going. And then we got to like the week before Christmas break <laughs> and John is like, and we're right at like the penultimate episode, which we think has gone, it's too far gone to give us a script. You know, that would, get again, go back to the upper level writers uh, to have something that important. Uh, and then John is like, you know, Katie, Date, you guys are overachievers, you're workaholics. Do you guys want to break a uh, 12 over Christmas? And <laughs> we were like, yes. <laughs> yes, we do. That's awesome. <laughs> so, it was it was like a good, hey, pay- I mean, we were just saying they're so patiently, you know, doing our best the whole season and then he gave us the penultimate episode. So, we were very, very happy and excited to get to do that. And yeah, just worked away over, you know, we both went to separate places over over Christmas. But I was more than, I went to go see my family in Princeton, which to me looks like Hogwarts in the snow. It's beautiful. <laughs> and I just sat there, I was like, I have to go do work on my script for television. <laughs> like I would just curl up and like do that. in the windowsill as the snow fell and it was just so dreamy. And I was like, I've arrived.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs> like, awesome.
2: Yeah, it felt really good. Yeah. So
1: I, I have one more question about the writers room before we move on. Um, yeah. How many writers are with you in that in that room?
2: So it depends. I think like, I think the smallest rooms, you know, have about like five to seven and the largest rooms have about 10 to 12, but I don't think I've ever heard of it being over 12. And even in that instance, you're going to have people that are, you know, at least like one to two writing teams. So they count as one.
1: Oh, right, right, right. So then how many were in your room at
0: Shooter?
2: Uh, we had 10, I believe.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. So we're
2: going to write them the all. Yeah.
0: So, actually, I have another question about just, um, I guess, the process on Cheater. So, how much did you base it on books?
2: Sure. So, yeah, they're based on the Point of Impact novel series by Stephen Hunter. Uh, For season three, we took a lot from um, Blacklight, um, which is one of the novels in those series that specifically deals with Bob Lee's father um, and the history, sort of the Swagger legacy of Earl Swagger. So, we didn't use as... There was actually... For many weeks, we drafted out, um, a series or a season that was a lot closer to the novel. Um, but then in trying to overlay that with picking back up with what we had left off from season two of Bob Lee and Nadine and Isaac and Atlas and like trying to marry that to our, our, our story that we had to continue was too much. And I talked about like having those five stories up on the board. I think we had like seven, which included like flashbacks <laughs> and other things. So we unfortunately had to cut out um, like a really meaningful storyline and the flashback, uh, which was sad for everybody, but that's what serviced, you know, again, we're not, we're not doing this, you know, to make ourselves happy. We're doing it to service the show and the show didn't need it. So we didn't use it. Um, but we did use, um, basically just like kind of the oral swagger flashback line that was, so it was loosely, loosely based on that book. Uh, but we all did have to read it and in order to get to the process of barely using it at all, we had to go through, use, you know, basically adapting the whole book for TV and then whittling it down and whittling it down and whittling it down. So.
0: Yeah. Cause there's, how many, there's like 10 books in the series? Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a lot.
0: So I- I actually had a very like writer specific question for you,
2: sure.
0: uh, which may be too in the weeds, but maybe not. Okay. And I was just wondering how you try to, just I guess writing in general, but on the show also, how do you hold tension? For like, it sounds sort of like an abstract question, but um,
2: no, it is interesting. Yeah, how how do you keep the tension high? How do you keep it interesting? Um, I mean, I think if everything is coming out of character. Authentically and then you're putting that character into these high stakes situations You're going to have tension and like for Bob Lee it was always the question for him. I don't know if you guys watch the show or not um, But it's always choosing between saving the world and saving his family and so there's always going to be some dichotomy there that we're making him choose between Julie and Mary and Saving the world as he sees fit, as he needs to save the world um it's through his own unique point of view. Um sorry, go
0: ahead. Oh no no, I okay. I just that's like exactly you know, I, one thing that's really like for any piece of work that I've found is to really give characters that one choice and the entire show, the entire movie is offshoots or, you know, of that choice, like his family or saving the world, um is you know, always A good source of tension because there's really not a good choice.
2: Right, right. You're gonna lose sight of it. They're both
0: bad. It's Sophie's choice.
2: (laughs) Everything is just Sophie's choice. Yeah.
0: Well, I was watching Ozark a lot and it's a very similar thing. It's oh I like Ozark. Yeah,
2: my my fiance got me into it. He's yeah, he watches a lot of Ozark. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because the more it's it's a pretty great setup because the more he has to he tries to protect his family the worse off they get because he puts them in more danger right. but that's the only way to do it so it, it it's very compelling
2: when i first sat down with Ozark, i was like oh this is in that this is in like the breaking bad and weed genre of like suburban white people <laughs> selling drugs and he was like what no yes <laughs> like it's the exact <laughs> same show i mean they're all great shows like they're well done like that's a a high caliber you know category to be put in but yeah, that is like a that is a very specific niche. I think of um, yeah suburbanite white people like going into these um, like dark worlds or selling drugs or laundering money and saying, oh, it's for my family. But like like with Walt, like it's for me. I did it for me. Like they like the sense of danger. They like the sense of feeling alive or being bad or Breaking Bad. Um, oh, the the other thing I would say that that holds tension uh, besides that that choice, which I think is true. Um, is to always, to give people, to give everybody a perspective that is valid. So you're always putting your characters in situations where one person is right and the other person is correct. Like you mm. don't want to set up with your main character people for them just to kind of knock down, like whether they're mustache twirling or, you know, trophy or whatever. So like with um, Bobly and Julie, you know, he thinks that he's saving her by saving the world, by keeping them safe. And she, without be, she's not being a naysayer, you know. She's like, I like guns and action, and you know this just as much as anybody. But you're bringing chaos to my door. You're bringing armed men to our home where our daughter lives, and I cannot. You cannot do that. And she's not wrong, you know. <laughs> like so, there's. And so then, what do you do, you know? Or then, you know, similarly with our villains. Or with other people, we really try to give them perspectives that it's like, well, yeah, like that's not that's not wrong, yeah, you know, like one person's right, the other person's correct. What do you do? Discuss.
1: <laughs> I, I have a question, just based off of what you just said about mustache twirling villains and writing villains. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think about that a lot when you're writing your villains, like how to keep them from being mustache mustache twirlers, or yeah. is that something that you lean into sometimes for certain characters, or do you always try to like? give them more depth and character and like keep it from just being that, like, mo ha 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 i am bad type of thing. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think especially now, like, in the age of, you know, the anti-hero and all of that sort of stuff, like, we love complex villains. And, like, villains are you know, Venom has gotten his own, um, you know, movie, you know. We love or you know, Dexter, you know, whether they're villains or heroes or anti-heroes, I think we, as a society now, have really embraced the idea of complex people And of complicated darkness and all of those things. So, the more relatable and complex you can make your villain, I think the more engaging it's going to be for an audience, uh, because that's, there's something very relatable and very human and very real about that. And I know for me, like with, um, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast, uh, but I will, um, with our, our villain from this season, you know, anytime I was, thinking about like our main villain, you know, thinking about him or writing him, I was really like picturing, uh, one, you know, one of my very Southern old world, you know, uh, grandfathers actually, that he is this, the character's name is Red Bama. And, you know, we made him a cattle rancher and he's just this from like another time and place. He's from Texas. I've got people that are from Texas, uh, from Cro- and it's just like from his point of view and his world, he is protecting his home. He is protecting his livelihood. He's trying to stop his fuck up son from fucking up too much. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, I know those people. Those are real people to me, you know, and like so that he feels like he has to do what he has to do. And that sort of what could become a larger than life um, Southern cliche is that And like most of our viewers in shooter are in you know, red states—they are in you know places like Texas, like Tennessee, where I'm from, and so they watch that and they know those people. And like, that's a good red mama's a great foil for Bob Lee because they are both these like southern good old boys. Bob Lee just has a different code than red mama. So, yeah, always. Nice. I mean, whether for either for your heroes or villains, for anybody. Like, I feel like we're like, Oh, a character, what an interesting character. And they almost, it almost feels like they're doing a mad lib to try to make someone like quirky or interesting. And it's like, no, literally just write the people, you know, whether it's a composite, take like half of this person or half of that person, or like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But if you really base it, like anchor it off of someone that you know incredibly well, that character is going to live and pop off that page because there's a very good chance that reading it or watching it know someone like that too and it will resonate with them as truth.
1: yeah i guess the thing that i always think about especially if you're writing shorter form content like how do you get all those little character details in about a villain when you really just need to show them doing a certain thing to like you know keep the story going forward but, you know, if you don't have the time to give the background to give the context, it's like, yeah, it's just the mustache twirling thing, you know, yeah. so I don't know. I mean, do you have any tips of like how to communicate that kind of information quickly without wasting too much like running time, you know?
2: Um, I mean, show, don't tell is always great. You know, if you can just see them, anything, whether how they're dressed or their actions or little moments with themselves or You know let me be blake schneider here if they save a cat (laughs) you know anything (laughs) that just gives them a little more roundedness (laughs) of humanity (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) that kind of stuff is you know why they do what they do um can be a little bit help or or just like a little like affectation or personality quirk so even if the audience doesn't know they're like oh there's like something there there's something more going on with that person and let them vacuum deduct. They can, you know, make guesses as to why they do what they do. Um, you know, I mean, the, the cliche for that is like a scar, you know? <laughs> you know, or like an eye patch, like you know, something that's like, oh, there's a history. But you can obviously be more um, creative and nuanced with that. Um, those would be my suggestions.
1: Nice. Um, one of the questions that we have here that we didn't get to yet that I'm really curious about, um, and I think I think I should let Andrew ask it because it seems like it's a pretty specific question, but just the last question, Andrew, on your list of writing questions, you know, like about advice you'd give to someone who, you know, wants to write for television sp- specifically.
2: Um, I think you should have at least three pieces of material before you approach anybody. Like don't come at somebody with one thing because if they like it, they're gonna want something else or what, they're gonna wanna see if you can do it again. Um, so you should have at least three quality pieces of material that you stand behind. Uh, I would suggest, I mean, I say a spec, but I feel like no one needs specs anymore. I feel like that's me coming out of my like 2008 bubble. Um, but at least like, you know, a pilot, a feature and like, I don't know, maybe a spec, uh, or maybe two pilots and a feature, depending if you want to write for TV, um, just something that shows that you have some range that you, you're not a one hit wonder. You have some control of your craft and that you're willing to generate content. Um, and then I would. Ask everyone I know and start, you know, start like asking for those favors. Um, a great way to do it is if you do, you know, work for somebody or you work in the business, you know, ask your, your boss or someone you work directly with, someone that can vouch for you. Um, so ask someone who has a little bit of credibility. Um, if they know anyone that would be a good fit for you as representation and then ideally get one of those samples passed to that person, to a agent or manager. Ideally, they read it and like it. They want to know what else you have. You send them follow up material. They bring you in for a meeting and they sign you. Um, but yeah, that would be, that would be my best advice is the, sort of the, the introvert and the extrovert a- approach at the same time, kind of the right and left hand of generate your own body of work that you're proud of. That's not just one thing. And then simultaneously make like get out there, whether you have a job in the industry or you're networking at events, but like specifically find people that can be your advocates. Um, that are will that can be your advocates. That are people that are credible. That are not just like random people going and knocking on a door, but someone that when an agent or manager approaches them and say, "Hey, oh my gosh, I know this person. They're a writer. I think they'd really be a good fit for you." Remember, every time an agent or a manager puts someone on their rolodex, like that is they are trying to make their mortgage, their car payment, <laughs> like they're off, like off right. of getting you work. Like they're not just signing you for fun. So that person has to be able to go to this agent or manager and say this person can make you money basically at the end of the day This person is likable. This person is talented and this person is hard-working And so if you can do that, I think you'll you'll hopefully find a good fit
0: yeah, and also, you know how maybe you can just speak to this quickly too is You go to an agent or manager what in addition to I guess having a few different pieces of material how do you make their lives easier so that they want to keep working with you, you know, like
2: you should have, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, you, what
0: don't you do too? Um,
2: what, oh, but don't you, don't call them every day. You don't bother them. You know? Um, but what you do is, um, you make a list of everyone you know that they can call and advocate for on your behalf. Uh, you still will try to get like, stay on top of things, read the trades. And if you see something you would be good for or that you know someone on, send it to them. Give them a tip off because they do still have, you know, 10 to 20 other clients that they're working with and be like, hey, my friend so and so, you know, my friend at Amazon is covering this show that just went, can you put me up for it? And they'll be like, yes, great. Which sample do you want to send? And you're like this one, you know, so you have a good working relationship with them. Um, and while I, yeah, while you shouldn't call them every day and bang down their door, you should always be you know, sort of yeah, like once a month, twice a month or so, at least checking in with them, giving them some new material, giving them um, the new draft of material they may have given you notes on. Like there should be a consistent sort of um, back and forth with them of you guys working on how, how to get you sold, basically, whether it's honing your craft, working on new things um, or like, yes, yeah, set, again, setting up meetings. Um, so yeah,
0: that would be my advice. That's great. I know like for me, um, there there's a lot of uh, fear in approaching representation. I have representation for copywriting, which is mm-hmm. great. And it's like, whatever. But for representation for screenwriting, there's like this block in me. Mm-hmm. And I think from years ago of being, uh, you know, just just being honest here, but like, you know, years ago being an indie filmmaker and really having to unwind myself from that mindset the last five years but there's still like this this fear of rejection that's actually tough so like now i'm in a position to where i'm finally moving past that but um everything you're saying is really great and i think it'll definitely help me so thank you oh
2: you're welcome yeah and like yeah i I would never approach people directly because that is a hard sale and like they're gonna feel weird and you're gonna feel weird i would definitely go to people that can advocate for you Cause they're going to sell uh, you better than you ever can. So go, like, yeah, go to your friend who's an executive. Go to your, your upper level writer friends who are making money for their representation yeah, and say, Hey, could you pass me along? Could you advocate for me? You want people that agent, like people that agents trust, which are either clients that make them money or uh, buyers. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you right, see what I'm saying? Right,
2: Yeah, 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 which is going to get you a lot farther than you just kind of walking up and banging on someone's door because that's awful for everybody. Like that, yeah, like your your instinct there is correct to not want to approach them. Right. Uh, I would say, yeah.
1: So don't cold email anonymous content, you know, twice, no, twice a month. No, it's just
2: going to, right.
1: <laughs> that's not going to get <laughs> you <will> anywhere. Go,
2: <laughs> that will go nowhere. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but like buy a nice bottle of scotch or whatever for your friend, yeah, who has a friend at anonymous and be like, could you please? send in, send a personal email yeah, that is not going to go in their trash folder. And that like, that is the way, like, I think in the bad way, like the, the bad version of this is like, oh, people only hire their friends and it's all who, you know, the good <laughs> version, right. Yeah. But like, okay. The good version of that is people work with who they trust. Right. Yeah, definitely. People you can, yeah. People work with who they trust. People trust their friends. The world is a scary place, no matter what industry. And if someone you know and care about and have a long history with vouches for someone, that means more to you than a random entitled email of someone being like, well, you don't know me, but you owe me a job. Like, who is that guy? You know, <laughs> So, like, <laughs> that's, right. the flip side of that is, well, yeah, like, of course, people work with their friends and hire who they know wouldn't you? Like, right. like, so you just want to be the person they know.
1: <laughs> like. Yeah. And I think do, what you said before about like writing constantly and like always have having something going on. I think that that's a huge thing too. Cause if you have like, you know, from a filmmaking perspective, if you have a new short film to send them or a new music video that you just directed or whatever it is, you know, I think like that's always good to just show that you're, you keep on making stuff. You're keeping on making stuff, you know, you're generating content or
2: yeah, you know yeah, whatever. Yeah. And that you're, yeah, you're doing it because it's what you do. Right. You know, not as opposed to just waiting around for someone yeah. to like give you an opportunity. Or,
1: or having that one thing you made 10 years ago that you're like, no one understands it. Like, you know, yeah. it's so great. It's like, no, like put that aside and make the next thing. The next thing. I had a,
2: thing. we were right in the middle of shooter. I forget what we we're like, right in the thick of it. And I got a random late night Facebook message from an ex who is a, who was a couple years ahead of me at USC. We didn't meet there. But yeah, it's like a, An angsty, you know, writer man type. And he wrote in all caps, like, I finished a new pilot. And I just looked at it like, okay, (laughs) like I finished like 10, (laughs) but again, like I'm, I'm working and he's not, you know, he has a lot of complaints about why he's not working and no one sees his genius, you know, yeah, (laughs) yeah, like, don't be that guy. Be me. (laughs) Right.
1: Get out there, meet some people, show them some work, write something new. Yeah, Yeah.
2: be excited about your craft, be excited, you know, about like every, the sort of like, I'm an honesty writer and no one gets me is just as old and exhausting as like the sort of actressy starlet trope. Like no one likes either, like don't be that, you know, just be gracious, humble, hardworking and, and like excited to do the work, you know? Cause people want to hire people that love what they do at the end of the day and are going, and that's the other thing in a TV room. Like if you go into a showrunner meeting, Oh my God, be agreeable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like just like, they're just <laughs> going to be stuck with you. <laughs> like just above all things, just be agreeable. Cause at the end of the day, it is not rocket scientist science. It is not heart surgery. No one lives or dies. It is, it is just television. Yeah, And you're going to get so many network notes. You're dealing with so many people's opinions. And it just, as long as you are agreeable, pleasant, willing to throw out ideas and willing to not be precious when your ideas get thrown out, like you're going to do great. Like that's, that is like the hardest part of the job. Honestly, it's not, it's not what you do on the page. Cause obviously you wouldn't be interested in this if you weren't a capable craftsman or a capable writer. Um, but it really is that, um, like all this other stuff, just sort of like navigating it socially um, that I feel like a lot of writers just sort of stall out and combust and fall over because they don't know what to do <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> because no
2: one ever told them that, that that writing wasn't just putting their genius on the page and handing it in. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be pleasant. You've got to like, you know, take a note, you know, even if you don't like it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Especially if you don't like it. Right. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, that was um, ba- uh, a long time ago when David and I were first starting out. Um, we were mentored a little bit by uh, Bob Orsi of uh,
0: Bob oh, and Alex. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Bob Orsi. Yeah, who are, were a great, you know, writing team and sort of aspirational for us at the time. And that was really Bob's advice for, he's like, Alex and I are not the best writers. Like we'll be the first ones to tell you that, but we give great meeting, <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, that's We are funny. happy, <laughs> we're on time, we are pleasant. And he's like, and that, especially when you're dealing with a lot of these network, you know, execs and studio heads counts for way more. Cause they're not, it's going to be noted to death and rewritten and overwritten so many other times. They don't they don't care. <laughs> like not like not that it isn't good, but that's just not like you can't just rely on your talent on the page. You have to bring something else to the table. Um so yeah, I that like also really stuck with me. I was like, good advice and like very candid and open. Um a very, very kind person. Bob Orsay was very kind to us.
1: nice. Awesome. Yeah um well i mean i have a million more questions but i think we have to wrap this up um andrew you have any last questions before we we
0: get out of this episode uh no but thanks for talking katie and it was it was awesome having you on so really appreciate it oh my
2: gosh my pleasure anytime i I hope i was helpful (laughs)
1: oh fantastic and um if people want to like uh find out more about you or you know like, find, are you on Twitter? Do you have a website? Like, where can people uh, look you
2: up? Oh, gosh. I am on Twitter, but I never use it. Um, It's you know, Katie J H N S N. So, like, my last name without the O's, without the vowels, Katie Johnson. Nice. I'm um, also, I would use Instagram way more. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, too. Uh, it's Katie underscore J H N S N. Um, don't have a website. I'm on IMDb. Um, nice. Yeah, I don't really know how else you can find me. Oh awesome. uh, yeah, d- d- slide in my DMs. No, don't do that. Please don't do that. Uh, uh, oh my god, you're about to get
1: a thousand DMs from people. <laughs> a thousand,
2: yeah, please don't do that. Uh, no. Help me
1: become a writer.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I will not read your script. I will not read your script. <laughs> oh,
1: that's funny. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening, and thanks again to Katie for being on the show. You can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com. You can. find find the links to the things we talked about on on this episode, including um, a lot of Katie's past work. If we can find it in the trailer to shooter uh, for the third season. Um, If you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at Mickey movies is hard.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH podcast. And please, if you dig the show, tell a friend, help us spread the word out. You can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And uh, thank you so much, Andrew and Katie for, for a fantastic show.
2: Thank you guys.
1: All right. See you guys next week.